One thing I would say is this is just a label. It's just something that our field puts on a particular constellation of symptoms, if you will, quote unquote, and numbers and and things like that. How this can be most powerful is to ask the question, okay, now that I have this information, what do I do? How do I use it? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. And I just have to say before I even introduce this episode, I am traveling right now post-move and I forgot my good microphone. I'm sitting in a closet in my friend's house in Seattle using really not so great earbuds. So I apologize for the audio quality for the introduction, but rest assured the interview itself was recorded with my regular setup. Anyway, on to the show. This week, I am talking with Dr. Lynetta Willis, a psychologist turned family coach who specializes in empowering women in their relationships. A lot of Lynetta's work combines her foundation in psychology and trauma healing with best practices and empowerment coaching to help her clients strengthen their parenting, partnerships, and personal growth to create joyful, connected, and harmonious families. So there are so many things I could have talked with Lynetta about, but for today's episode, we focused our conversation on navigating the emotional fallout after a diagnosis, a difficult and real process for many parents of differently wired kids. We talk about the sister emotions of grief and guilt, the importance of self-compassion and self-care in the process, how to handle different reactions in partnerships, and more. This is one of those packed conversations with lots of great insights, and I love how Lynetta's passion for her work shines through. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of this Tilt Parenting Revolution. If you want to stay in the loop about important news, new classes, and special live events, you can sign up at TiltParenting.com. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Lynetta. Hello, Lynetta. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) I am happy to have you here. We, We had this scheduled for months and months ago and... It's funny how that seems like a long time ago and how nothing has really changed between now and then in so life. So true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be finally having this conversation with you. And I would love if you could, you know, I've read your bio, your credentials and, and the fancy stuff. But if you could take a few minutes to just tell us a little bit about who you are in the world and what you do and maybe your personal why for doing that work. Yes, yes. So I am a family empowerment coach and trained as a psychologist. I have two children, uh, ages nine and 12. I feel like I probably should know that faster, but they just grow so doggone fast. I just can't keep up anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And let's see, I now do, I had a private practice for a number of years. And before my daughter was born, I closed it when we moved to a new city and I always thought I was going to open it again. That was always the the intention. And it was probably about two years in. I said, yeah, I'm not opening this thing again. And I decided that I really wanted to have 
a wider reach and help people, not just in my area that come to my office, but, you know, all over the globe. So I started looking into coaching and fell in love with it. And now I literally coach people all over the world. I have a um, parenting group program that I run called Trigger to Transformed. And there are people in there from all over the world, which just gets me so excited to be able to touch so many lives and, and connect with so many people. And so um, my why, oh, wow. You know, I grew up in a time and in a family where things like children should be seen and not heard and spare the rod, spoil the child and stop crying before I give you something to cry about. And all those types of phrases were used. And um, when I I had an uh, experience with my little sister, I have a sister who's 20 years younger than me. I don't know what my mother was thinking. I hear the question. I hear it. It's like radiating through the airways. I have no idea. But (laughs) nonetheless, I have a sister. Love her to death. She's 20 years younger than me. And when I was in college, I had an experience where I screamed at her and I threatened to hit her. And I still remember in that moment just watching her face crumble. And I said, I'm not doing this. Like, this has got to stop you know, this legacy of spanking and threatening and, you know, I call it the four horsemen mindset, pain, blame, shame, and avoidance that we often see used in different families. And so I made a promise to her and myself that I was going to do everything I could to stop that. And now I love um, helping frustrated families break free from what I call stable misery. You know, when you find yourself caught in those unhelpful patterns that oftentimes are the result of what we experienced growing up ourselves. So I love helping people break those intergenerational dramas and raise their kids differently from how they were raised. And um, like I said, I work with parents as well as couples and individuals too. And I just do it because it needs to be done, right? We need to start as human beings. I mean, Congress is great, but I really feel like we have to raise the consciousness of families, right? Everybody in Congress comes from a family. And I really feel like we have to switch and shift how we show up on a familial level in order to really shift the consciousness of the of the planet, which I mean, call me, you know, uh, overly optimistic, but I do think it's possible. Mm. I love it. I love your optimism. I'm going to join you in that optimistic outlook. And I love this work that you do. And actually, I this is just maybe a little question, but I'm curious for people who are listening, could you explain what differentiates work as a psychologist and in that space and then coaching, which you said you really fell in love with? What's the distinction? Yeah. As a psychologist, my main specialty area was trauma healing. And that was extremely rewarding work and it took a lot of energy, right? So as a psychologist, we spent a lot of time in the past. We spent a lot of time um, really working on really deep healing work, which people need. I needed it. Like, you know, I had my own therapist for a while. And so it's really important. Now as a coach, what I do is I, I say, you know, We get an Airbnb or a VRBO in the past, but we don't buy a home there. We use it as a tool to help us envision how we want to be in the present and where we want to go in the future. So I'm much more action-oriented as a coach. Um, And of course, I use 
my resources and my knowledge and wisdom from trauma healing and, and things of that nature. But in terms of working with people for years, years and years and years, um, healing those deep wounds, people usually come to me after they've already had some of that healing work. So most people that I see um, are pretty self-aware and and know where a lot of the skeletons are. And really, they just want to figure out, OK, I have this awareness now with this awareness, how do I take those forward steps? How do I move forward in my life and relationships so that I'm not stuck anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So they have the wisdom, they have the insight and the knowledge. It's like, how do I move forward? How do I keep going? And that's where I come in as a coach. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that. So obviously we could talk about so many things today and your work sounds fascinating. And one of the things I wanted to focus on when we first you know, started communicating about bringing you on the show was how to support couples, um, parents navigate that process of finding out that their child is moving through the world differently, right? Maybe they have just gotten a diagnosis. Um, maybe they're on that path. And it's kind of that moment where they're confronting, okay, this is not what I expected. Um, this is going off path, uh, of course, from where I thought we'd be uh, right now. And so I'd love to to get into that a, lot, a little bit and maybe talk about from your experience, what what are parents experiencing maybe on an individual level? And then there's also the couple piece of it. Like, how do they do that together? So could you talk a little bit about that? Of course. One of the biggest things that I see parents struggling with, or I like to say dancing with when they receive that diagnosis is first, it's like the shell shock. And, and some parents had a, have, have an, a whim or an indicate, like an indication that there was something going on. Um, but to hear it can knock a lot of people over. And the main emotion that I see is one of grief. Because we have, you know, we like to think sometimes I think that, oh, I'm so open, whatever my child wants, that's fine with me, I'm, you know, but I mean, if we're honest, we have visions of what we want our child to do and how we want our child to be, what we imagine our child becoming. And, and when we get indicators that our child may not be uh, neurotypical or there may be other things going on with them, we sometimes those beliefs or those fantasies can seem to be dashed or cut short. And so the first thing that I notice that parents go through, and I actually encourage, is grieving. And in addition to the grief is also sometimes guilt. They often are sister emotions because what happens is they'll get the diagnosis and then it should be this idea of, oh, if I grieve, then is that a sign that I'm not fully accepting of my child? Is that a sign that, you know, as a parent, I'm wanting my child to be different and that some way makes me bad? And my thing is, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make you bad. It makes you normal. It's okay to say, I thought things were going to go this way and now they're not, right? And sitting with that is really, really important. And realizing that that's not a bad realization. It's not a bad thing to accept about yourself. One of the things that I created is called the PATHS framework. And it's a framework that I use to help 
um, families really strengthen their relationships and especially move through those triggered moments. And the first letter stands for perspective. And perspective represents our vision of what we want. So getting clear on that, which I'll talk about in a bit, but also it represents the stories in our head, right? So allowing ourselves to grieve also involves like sitting down and having a conversation or writing down in your journal, what are the stories in my head that are coming up about the diagnosis or about myself or about my child and really getting all of those out so that you can acknowledge them and really understand and and connect and not be overwhelmed by them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I I find this topic of grief so interesting. You know, I I use that word in my book when talking about exactly what you said, like giving ourselves a minute to acknowledge, you know, these beliefs or fantasies, as you said, about what we thought this was going to look like and that disconnect between what's happening. And I find this word grief is very triggering for a lot of people and that there are some spaces where um, using that term people can jump to the conclusion that that means you don't wish that child existed or. And so I'm just wondering what, and and I think it's important that we don't bury that stuff, that we we do confront it and we do sit with it, as you say. So how do parents do that in a safe way that isn't going to trigger shame or guilt, but really give themselves the opportunity to process it so they can move through it? For sure. I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, my first suggestion would be don't be in those shame circles. (laughs) Extricate yourself (laughs) by whatever means necessary from people who say things like that. You know, grief is, is, it's a complex one, but it's, it's an emotion, right? I mean, I would argue it's a multitude of emotions, but when they all come together, we, we label it grief. And All that means is it's just a sense of loss of something. If you had a vision or a fantasy or a thought and in your mind, you're thinking, I no longer have that or that's not the way it's going to be, then grief is a normal reaction. And if we pretend that it's not there or we bury it or we demonize it in some way, then all we're doing is shoving it down and it's just going to come out in other ways. So that those parts of us that have grief, and, and I use the word parts deliberately because it's not all of you, right? It's not like more than likely, you know, every aspect of you is not sitting there saying, you know, oh, I wish things were differently, different. But even if you have those moments where they are, just be there in that moment. Shaming it, burying it doesn't make it any different. And it absolutely, most certainly does not make you a bad parent. And anyone who says it does, again, I suggest you extricate yourself from that because it is what it is. We can't control what we feel. We can control how we respond to what we feel, but we can't control what we feel, right? And if that is the the immediate reaction that you have, again, like I said, get out a journal or sit down and speak with somebody, but just talk out what's going on in your mind. And if something comes up where you're like, oh, that feels really bad to say, right? Again, just own that. That's just a part of me though. And it feels this way right now. And I'm going to allow that feeling to be there knowing that tomorrow it can be different, right? They're not static. 
They are feelings, they shift and they ebb and they flow. But realizing that it doesn't say anything bad about you because you feel grief and shaming people or, or being shamed or even shaming yourself isn't necessarily going to make that grief go away, <laughs> right? It's not going anywhere. It's still going to be there. It just buries. And, and as the adage goes, nothing likes being buried alive. And that includes feelings. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm thinking of what we resist persists, right? We We need to get it out. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. So once we do that processing and we're, you know, we've had the perhaps shell-shocked, I think that is probably a word, even again, as you said, for parents who had an inkling that, uh, or a deep sense always that their child was in some way differently wired you know, what comes next? Is there kind of a natural progression to, 
I hate to even say to reach acceptance, like it's some, you know, end goal, this destination that we're going to just reach and then we're done. Uh, But, you know, what does the journey look like for most parents? Yeah. So once we get that sense of like, what are the stories in our head? The next thing I, I suggest, which is the next step in the paths framework is to really allow yourself to be aware of all of the emotions and body sensations that are coming up. Grief is going to be one and they're going to be others too, right? So being aware of that, because the more we're aware of it, we are, the less likely we are to bury it, the less likely we are to turn away or to take it out on ourselves or other people that we care about, right? So just being aware of them and of, of what's coming up in you. The other thing that um, people do, the next one in the past model is tools, you know, and I say, we're always using a tool. Question is never, am I using a tool? But rather the question is, is the tool I'm using helpful or unhelpful? And whenever we get information about a situation that's unexpected, I don't know about you, but I want to go into like do it mode. Like I just want to do something, Mm -hmm. you know? So with this, another powerful step could be to sit down and intentionally decide what am I going to do with this information? What would be helpful? When I would um, do evaluations for parents on learning disabilities and or for children and learning disabilities and ADHD and, and different diagnoses, one thing I would say is this is just a label. It's just something that our field puts on a particular constellation of symptoms, if you will, quote unquote, and numbers and and things like that. How this can be most powerful is to ask the question, okay, now that I have this information, what do I do? How do I use it? The information really, instead of, because sometimes the tendency is, oh, well, my child has this autism diagnosis or this certain learning disability or ADHD, and that becomes a label, right? Like, oh, well, that's just because of the ADHD or, oh, that's just because of the autism. You know, and it's like, that's not as helpful as, okay, now that I have this information, what are steps that I can take to learn more about my child, to understand my child, and ultimately to help myself and my child move through the world with more grace and ease and enjoyment, right? So figuring out how can I use this information to make our family stronger and and more enjoyable? Um, What questions does this answer? What do I now understand about myself or my child that I didn't understand before, right? So using it as a tool and not so much as just a label, of something that, oh, my child has this, because that can definitely send us down the road of catastrophizing, right? <laughs> of, oh, well, this means that A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, when in reality, we don't, you don't, you can't really tell what's going to happen in the, I mean, maybe you can, but I can't really tell what's going to happen in the future, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So really figuring out what can I do this information now and how can it help me move forward in a productive way? Yeah. Really, really a helpful way to approach it. Yeah, I love that perspective. And then, so now I need to know what the the H is in your paths framework. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So the H stands for healing. And this is really big because when you find out that your child is differently wired, it can bring up so much of our stuff. 
stuff that was created way before our child was even a twinkle in our eye. Right. And it, and it just, it could trigger a lot of our old stuff around enoughness or around control or all of these different things. So when we get clear of the stories in our head and we get clear of our feelings and our body sensations and, and we get clear on um, what we can do and, you know, steps that we can take to make this helpful and um, to take helpful steps, excuse me. Then we can take all of that and look at it and say, okay, what within me needs to be healed, right? Is there anything that this is bringing up for me that suggests that maybe I need to enter into a relationship with someone um, with a professional relationship to get support around what this is bringing up in me? I do um, work with my clients. Sometimes we'll integrate hypnosis, hypnotherapy into the process and it's really interesting when we kind of focus on one particular situation with their child and then it will automatically in our mind connect back to something from like when they were like six years old and something happened and, they, and it was like, wait, what does that even have to do with anything? And lo and behold, it has a lot to do with what's going on. And it's interesting because as you heal some of that stuff or as you just get insight into it, again, if it's something like deeply traumatic that may be like, okay, this is going to take some time, right? Like Maybe we need to be in, a, maybe you need to enter into a longer term therapy relationship. But sometimes it's just something where it's just the awareness and having the self-compassion and the tenderness for ourselves can really help clear the way to heal things that come up within us and, and move. And then we notice when that thing is healed, it actually releases some of the tension or the anger or the resentment or whatever else is coming up in us related to our child. It's really fascinating Mm -hmm. how that can happen. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. And, and also it stands for healing, but it also stands for honoring when I think parents in general, we have this, this, some of us, I shouldn't say all of us, but um, we have this tendency to not, to not meet our needs or not think our needs are as important or put our needs on the back burner, right? Which can actually lead us to react in ways that leave, that leave us feeling less than proud as parents, right? So if I'm overwhelmed and triggered and exhausted and all these other things that because I'm not meeting my needs and I'm just focusing on my child, then ultimately I'm probably going to show up in ways that leave me less than proud at some point, right? So the H also stands for honoring our needs. Like, so asking like, yeah, maybe I do need to heal something from when I was six. Maybe I just need to take time to eat, Or take a nap or shower, right? So it also stands for honoring our basic needs. Because when we find out anything about our child that's unexpected, we immediately want to go into do it mode or fix it mode or help it mode, right? So remembering your needs in the midst of that is so important. Mm. I love that reminder. Yeah, 100%. You are speaking my language. And, you know, I think it goes back to that, that willingness to be able to sit with the discomfort, to be aware, to, you know, just kind of be open to the process. But there can be so many, you know, healing uh, gifts of that. I think our kids give us a lot of opportunity to 
discover more about ourselves and that mm-hmm. can be a tremendous gift. For sure. I, I, I always say, um, those who bring our stuff up are here to help us wake up. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and our children are definitely good at that, you know, um, regardless of how they're wired or we're wired, we all have those moments where we can feel triggered. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, you know, you're triggered when you handle a laser beam situation with an atom bomb response. (laughs) And, And we can really find ourselves in those uncomfortable moments. So being able to just acknowledge that, like you said, and, and, and have that compassion for ourselves when we're in those moments is really, really important. And that brings me to the last letter of the PATHS model, which is self-empowerment. And this is really important because a lot of times we can feel disempowered as parents, especially when we first hear that our child is differently wired, right? Like it can feel like, oh, I have no power. I have no control, you know, and that can lead our brains to shut down and lead us to overreact in ways that are less than helpful. So with the empowerment piece, I work with parents and encourage them to ask, where is my power in this moment? Because we all have power. Even if you're tied up in a basement, you still have power over whether you pee or eat or, you know, Mm -hmm. so we have power in moments and deciding for ourselves, where is my power in this moment? And what helps me to feel more empowered, right? What are things that I need to do for myself to help me feel like I have more power in this moment? And it's interesting because the reason why I put together this, or how I developed this framework was I realized these are all areas, getting perspective, creating a vision, which is something else that that I didn't mention that I'll, I'll say briefly. It, our brains naturally go towards catastrophizing and focusing on what we don't want. And there's an evolutionary reason for that, right? So when we were way back in the caveman days, you know, focusing on all the good things and the flowers and the lilies and the birds. I mean, that's great, but you really need to be looking out for that lion that you saw, you know, yesterday that almost ate you, you know? So our brains naturally go towards the negative whenever we're in those situations of heightened frustration, because that's how we can protect ourselves. If I can see the negative, then I can figure out how to avoid the negative and deal with the negative and get my butt up a tree so that lion doesn't eat it. Right. So it's, 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 it's very natural to do that. And that's why I encourage people to take steps towards create, like being conscious and intentionally creating a vision of the life that you do want with your child. What do you want with your child? What do you want that process to look like? What do you want your connection to look like? And really focusing on that, writing it out, speaking it out, allowing you just to bask in it, independent of what you've been told, any diagnoses you've received, any of that. What type of relationship do you want to have with your child? What would that look like if you had it all your way in your ideal world? Because when we focus on that and we hold that, then we're much more likely to move towards it and to take even subconscious steps towards creating that. Mm -hmm. When we focus on what we don't want, we're more likely to move in that direction, right? So it's really important that, and I I say this all the time, I know people, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, wait, create a vision, what? Yes, create a vision. It is so powerful and so important. It doesn't have, you don't have to pull out a board or any of that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what would I want my child, my relationship with my child to look at like in another year or two years or six months or 20 years from now? What do I envision? You know, can really help us to move in that direction and towards what we do want in a, in a more loving and intentional way. Yeah. And spending time in that space and giving our, our brains the opportunity to just envision what that would feel like to have that relationship or dynamic. I know that that creates more of that feeling uh, and more of that experience for us. So it's so important. Yes. 100%. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I would love to talk about couples for a moment. So I know from experience, I know from talking to many parents that getting information or a label or diagnosis for a child, oftentimes both partners, if there are two uh, partners, are not on the same page. Sometimes one parent goes into research mode and is like all in. Another might be in denial. Um, They may grieve in different ways. So how can parents who are having these very individual responses and and going on, on their own journey of 
sorting this out and making sense of it? How can they come together or support each other through that? Yeah, the first thing is to acknowledge that there's distance there, right? Like it's, it's, it's easy, I think, to dive into trying to fight the other person, you know, into submission around like, no, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. But first, just taking a moment to say, I'm aware that we see things differently on this, or I feel as if we see things differently, or we have different ideas on how we should handle this or what direction we should move or not move, right? So being really clear, first of all, that and and just acknowledging the fact that there is, is a disconnect. Because what often happens when we fail to acknowledge that disconnect is that's when we can slip into that stable misery mode where we start to rely on unhelpful patterns or not talking, not connecting at all. And that doesn't feel good either, right? So the first thing is just acknowledging. The other thing is, and I talk to couples about this all the time, get on the same side of the net. When we get into arguments as couples, it's so easy to almost like we're on opposite sides of the team, of a team, and we're fighting each other. When in reality, it's more, it makes more sense to say, and I've literally had couples do this. I will say, get up, take something, whether it be a ruler or yarn or something, and just lay it out on the floor. And then I want one of you to stand on one side of it and another one to stand on the other side of it. This is the net. How do you feel towards each other when you're standing on opposite sides of the net, right? Like not very good. It feels odd and awkward and, you know, and, and disconnect and lonely, And then I'll have one of them, I don't care which one, to walk around to the same side of the net. And I'll say, okay, now I want you on the same side of the net. And the the issue that you're trying to solve or the thing that you really want to get more information on, put that on the other side of the net. Now, actually have them get an object to represent whatever it is. It could be the diagnosis. It could be whatever it is. And now I say, and then I say, okay, you're on the same side of the net. This is on the other side of the net. What do you feel pulled to do? Right. What's what's the first step? And inevitably, what the first step often is, is to talk to the other person like problem solve. Right. Like you're like, all right, what do we do? Okay, here's this thing. What should be the next step? Right. Like, what do we do? And it's like, all right, now we got a ball game because now you're on a team, you know. And so it's really just acknowledging. I mean, you could go through all that, (laughs) but also acknowledging that you both want what's best for this child. Ultimately, that's what it is. Now, you might be going in different directions and there might be different reasons for that. But just realizing that this partner of yours wants what's best for this child. You want what's best for your child. If that's the case, if it's not the case, that's another conversation. But if you can agree on that, then actually that's that's half the journey. Because now the question is, okay, how can we each use our own ideas of how we should approach this, how can we, what are they, right? Get them out, be very clear about that. And then notice the strengths in each one, right? Is there strength in just sort of pulling away every once in a while and saying, you know what, we're not going to talk about this, right? Or we're only going to talk about this on these days at this time. Or like, is there a benefit in that? Is there something empowering about putting boundaries around certain conversations. And 
is there strength? Can the other person see strengths in going all in and researching and reading and doing, you know, what needs, what they feel needs to be done to really like push this rocket forward, you know, and realizing everybody has their own needs and their own ways of dealing with a situation, honoring that about the other person and then deciding, okay, how can we pull the way that we're being together or the way that we we want to function in this together so that we can approach this as a team, as opposed to not only pushing our energy in different directions, but against each other, which doesn't serve anyone. I love the uh, visual that just, I felt it, you know, just facing each other with that net between, it feels completely different. And that instinct when you're on the same team is to collaborate and be like, okay, what's our strategy? So Thank you for that. Such a great way to think about things. So before we wrap up, you've mentioned the term stable misery uh, a couple of times. And I know that that is a big part of the work that you do is is helping couples move from stable misery um, into a more productive, uh, peaceful relationships. So can you just kind of explain what exactly you mean by stable misery and how do parents know, how do listeners know if that's what's going on with them and then any suggestions for moving through that? For sure. You know, stable misery is that place that we can find ourselves. It's usually in our parenting or in our partnerships where there is that disconnect and it can show up in many ways. Like for some, it's we're just like, things are fine. There's nothing inherently wrong. You know, we have a roof over our heads, we have food. Um, but there's just this over sense of unfulfillment, or there's this overarching sense of just disconnect, and it doesn't feel good. And it's stable, because it's familiar, and in some ways, maybe even safe and predictable. But it's miserable, because you're unhappy. And you're, you're feeling disconnected and um, miserable, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And as parents, what that can look like is, you know, you can't remember the last time you actually enjoyed parenting or you, you find yourself seeing and anticipating the drama more than you see yourself feeling or anticipating the joy. Or maybe you and your partner are constantly going back and forth. Like anytime you talk, it seems to be leads to a fight um, or an argument. And maybe you can't get on the same parenting page. Or maybe you find that you're overreacting all the time with your kid, even when they're just being kids, right? It's like your reaction is to just snap and get really frustrated. Um, Or you're falling back on those old habits that were used on you as a kid that you know didn't work and you promised you would never do, but you do it anyway. Or maybe you feel more competent in your career than you do with your family, right? So, I mean, there's all of these different things that can happen that can come up to lead us feel lead us to feel as if um, we're just not connecting and and it doesn't feel good. And again, it's not so bad that it's like that's it, we're done. This is very clear, but it's not good either, and it doesn't feel good. So. I work with um, both parents and couples who fall into this because it is possible to get back into that joyful place. Like I was uh, in a stable misery marriage for quite some time, you know, and, and my husband and I, we realized it and we got in with someone 
and it completely transformed things. I say you go from stable misery to dynamic joy, you know, and it's, it's not that we're joyful all the time. You know, I say joy is, is less like an on off switch and more like a dimmer switch. (laughs) And so you realize that it's just an indicator like anything else. You know, if, if we get to points where it's like, we're, we're kind of off today, aren't we? I haven't had much joy in this relationship today, right? Then that's an indicator that, okay, what do we need to notice? What's coming up? What needs to be our next best step, right? Same thing with our kids. And we find ourselves constantly falling into the same patterns again and again and again, and we're not sure how to break free or how to get out. Um, then it's time to slow down, turn this around and, and move even one step closer to joy. Again, it doesn't have to be like, oh, parenting, yay. (laughs) It might just be like, all right, you know, I can, I can, I can stand my kid for five more minutes, right? And without losing it, like that might be as close to joy as you can get today. And that's, that's something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, I think it's, it's that noticing piece. It's that giving yourself the, the space to, just be aware of what's going on and, and to tune in. And and also inertia is a real thing, right? We just get into our, our ruts and our patterns. And it's, it's a good reminder that, that we can also choose um, to try to manifest or create or spark more joy in our day-to-day lives. So I would love, I know you have a lot of things going on um, offerings for parents and um a lot of ways that people can engage with your work. So could you tell us a little, uh, you know, for a few minutes where people can connect with you and what you've got coming up? So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a course called Triggered to Transformed. And it's based on this idea. There are a lot of great parenting courses out there. But what I often started hearing for parents, I'm in this field for over 20 years now, right? So I started to notice some themes. And one of the things I would hear parents say is, well, yeah, all that's great if I can remember it, if I can get to it, right? But I'm so triggered that I that it, it I, I can't access all that great book knowledge when I needed it. So I realized that for the parents that I work with, the first step needs to be dealing with those triggers because um, we all have the 50 gazillion parenting books on our shelf, right? But we have to be able to access the knowledge. So Triggered to Transformed is a program that I created. Um, it's a 12-week program where we use the PATHS framework and in it, you really develop the tools and the mindset and the know-how to really focus in on your triggers. And, and one of the things that people walk away with is you walk away with your own parenting book, right? Because that is what I feel is so important. It's great to read, but when you really learn what is the best next step for me and my family, for me and my child, Right. Given my history, given what I do and don't do or know and don't know, what is my next best step? That is what's going to keep us out of the parenting stable misery pit and on the path to transformation as opposed to feeling triggered all the time. So um, I have that coming up. But even before that, what I'm going to do is I have a five day workshop that I'm really excited about um, that you can do that will actually help you to create your first parenting plan. So in five days, I'm going to walk you through and show you how to create a plan to deal with a specific trigger that you may be dancing with, as I like to call it. And you can go to calmmytrigger.com to register for that, um, calmmytrigger.com. And then the other thing, if you're 
curious about how you can implement the PATHS framework into your own world. Like right now, you can go to healingstablemisery.com and you can download that. And it's it goes specifically through how can I implement this framework to pull me out of stable misery today? How can I start that journey right now? So both of those um, you can use. One caveat I give about the healingstablemisery.com, it's a, a roadmap, is just focus on one at a time. Please don't pull out the whole roadmap and say, I'm going to do all of these today. No, just focus on one a day or one a week. <laughs> They're powerful enough on their own. So just one at a time. That's great. Awesome. Well, listeners, I will have links to all of these resources in the show notes page. I highly recommend checking them out. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. You've given a lot of great insights for parents who are especially in the earlier stages, but at any stage really of coming to terms with and and just a deeper understanding of how to best support our kids through this uh, whole journey. So thank you so much for all of this. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. You can find links to all the resources my guests and I discussed on the detailed show notes page. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform, editing, production, and more. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for considering. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.